The first question is always going to be, what do you want to do with this? Well, I mean, because building and building a lifestyle company is fine. If that's if that's what you want to do, no, we have no, we have to scale it. I mean, okay, so what does scaling mean to you? I mean, what's what's the rate of growth? I want to grow. I have to grow twenty percent a year. Why? Why do you have to grow twenty percent a year? Really understanding what these reasons are. Okay, so what happens if you don't? There's no. There's no. If we don't, we we have to. We will. What do I have to do to grow twenty percent a year? Now, now I can help. Because yep. now I'm going to look at who, who's who's in leadership at every role, including that person. And based on what you've told me you have to do, that person may, I may, I may say, keep the title, but you're going to have to go over here and do something else and bring in somebody else that's wired to, to, to drive the, that kind of growth. Hello, everyone. My name is Chris Powers, and I want to thank you for joining me on the Fort Podcast today. This show is an open-ended discussion and journey covering real estate, business, entrepreneurship, and investing. I would love to hear from you by tweeting me at Fort Worth Chris on Twitter. Hey, guys, it's Chris. Thank you so much for joining me today on the Fort. I have a really cool episode with a good friend of mine, Stanton Williams, who's an executive advisor at Culture Index, which is a nationwide company that helps businesses maximize the bottom line by optimizing your organization from the top down. Culture Index is a strategic advisory firm that works exclusively with visionary entrepreneurs, CEOs, business leaders, and management to scale and transform organizations using applied analytical traits. They optimize your organization using your most precious resource, people. So for a little background, Stanton and I met about three or four years ago. Our company has been a client of Culture Index for the last three or four years since meeting. And it has been one of the biggest game changers, uh, not only for our business, but for me personally. It's really helped me understand people. It's helped me understand that there are lots of people that think about uh, the world in front of them in different ways. I think in ways it's helped me mature it's helped me identify places in my life that I can double down on and uh, work on my strengths, while at the same time understanding where my weaknesses are and helping bring other people into my life that can help complement my weaknesses, which in business is almost everything. So today we talk about what Culture Index is and how it was created. We talk about the seven ways that people are measured autonomy, social ability, their pace, their ability to conform, their energy units, uh, their logic and their ingenuity. We talk about the type of profiles that people have. Are they visionary? Are they technical? Are they more social? Are they more organizational? We talk about common mistakes that businesses make early on when hiring people and successes that businesses have had when getting the right people on the bus. We talk about the cost of turnover. We talk about the makeup of the typical founder or CEO. And we also have an interesting discussion on uh, the 30 U.S. senators that took the Culture Index test and the results that came from that. And it paints a little bit of a picture of maybe why the political leadership uh, in our country tends to do the things they do, good or bad. So Stanton has played a huge role in my life. 
this is a really cool episode to help understand who people are and how it helps in business. And so thank you again for joining me on this journey and enjoy. Stanton, welcome to the show. Thank you, Chris. It's great to be here. I'm excited to have you today. I'm excited to be here. Been through a lot together. Can you start with maybe just your story and kind of what brought you to Culture Index? Yeah, you know, I'm a growth guy. I'm, I'm a I'm a bigger, stronger, faster guy. I'm a, I'm a I, even even when I was in school, I knew long term I didn't want to work for somebody the rest of my life, but I didn't have a great idea at that point. So I took a I took a job with a company here in Fort Worth that uh, was a startup. Found out later that they had just reached a, a cash flow positive range at about the time I started. And I helped that company grow from a million in revenue to four million, uh, at which point they sold. And I, I participated in, in, in an exit, and partially in an exit. But I stayed around because pretty shortly thereafter, uh, the president and vice president uh, blew themselves up. Actually, one had a nervous breakdown and one... Uh, hurled enough email grenades that uh, he was asked to leave. So I was made president at that point. The key for anyone like me, Chris, is that we have to control our own destiny. So I was able to scratch the itch in terms of creating my own destiny for a lot of years. Uh, I made a lot of money early on. When I was made president, I was given the freedom to do whatever we needed to do to grow. And we, we grew. This was a professional services company, very profitable. So we, we took it from $4 million to eight to $15 million. And we made, when I left, we were making about $5 million EBITDA. Wow. So, so I just tell you this, say, I, I, I never really wanted to work for anyone that long. Yeah. It, it was a lot of years. How many? Uh, I was 10 years as president. 23 years total, (laughs) which, and so the challenge, which you will pick up on very quickly is, and I can look back on now is that, you know, it was, it was golden handcuffs. I made enough money and had enough freedom that I stayed in, in those years pass. And a lot of those, uh, those are opportunity years that, that you just don't get back, but did learn a lot. And we went through a number of of uh, acquisitions, yeah. And I had always thought that I would find a way to be able to to buy it. Uh, that wasn't meant to be. We went through one final acquisition. Knew about thirty days into it that that wasn't going to work well for me. Yeah. So I ended up making my move. Told them I wanted to buy it. It, it wasn't for sale. I knew that. So it was basically a death by cop yeah. situation. But I needed to be set free. Uh, nice severance. From there, I looked for a long time for a company to buy and looked at a number of them. I just didn't see anything there that made a lot of sense. There's a lot of junk out there. Yeah. If you <laughs> and, and what I've found out since is you, ba- you pretty much need to look at 100 to find one. Now, you may, you may get fortunate, but, yeah. uh, but I looked at a bunch of them, and I just didn't find the right one. I decided to start a, a, a mobile app company with uh, somebody that I'd met during that process that had never missed. And 
we gave it a really good shot. <clears throat> this was a loyalty app in the uh, in the convenience store in the grocery store space. Okay, made a lot of sense on paper, mm-hmm. and we gave it a nice run. That one that one didn't work. So when I left my role at SourceCorp, that's the company I grew. Mm-hmm. I didn't look for a job. Yeah. <laughs> I just didn't. I didn't want to work for anybody. Right. I thought, how can you invest that kind of time? And then just get shot, right? And then you got no, you have no equity, and I, I'm not doing that again. Yep. I found a, I found a, a data room company for sale that I knew we could grow. So I bought it with another person here in Fort Worth. We transitioned the model to to make it more than just a, a Dropbox on steroids. Not going to spend a lot of time on this, but we speak. We tweaked it so that it it would make it really easy for you know uh, tax clients of accounting firms to to drag and drop their their tax information uh, securely. Yeah, and so you know we we, we worked on that. Uh, we did some good. I thought long term, this isn't really making me all that happy. I'm not that having having that much fun. My partner was passionate about it, and so I sold my shares to her. But during the process, I'd, I'd, I'd become acquainted with Culture Index, and we had used Culture Index to help us grow. So just a little word about Culture Index. There are a lot of personality profile companies out there. Culture Index, I learned very, very early on, does not consider themselves to be in the personality profile space. Right. So... I had always used hiring instruments to help me make better hiring decisions. I had never been introduced to a language of understanding people. Mm-hmm. I was always interpreting information through a report or through the eyes of somebody else without having the benefit of having all of the knowledge of how people tick myself. Right. This was the first I had been exposed to an idea like this. Yep. So I, I signed on as a client. I was blown away by the by the knowledge. Didn't apply all the knowledge to begin with. I got myself into some trouble because I'm a knucklehead. I go fast. And I think I know more sometimes than I know. But But when I followed the program, it made a big difference. That's what got me in, exposed to Culture Index. After I sold my shares, again... Back in the I'm 50, wild. I'm 50 years old at that point. Mm-hmm. Well, while I would, uh, thought there should be a line of people knocking on my door, lighting me up on the phone, there weren't. Mm-hmm. And again, I didn't want to just go work for somebody. So I knew uh, my advisor at Culture Index was having a whole lot of fun helping companies do the things that I did successfully mm-hmm. meeting a lot of kick-ass people. And I thought, you know, that could be a lot of fun. Yep. Freedom, independence, uh, control on destiny, you know, compensation was open-ended based on my effort. So, uh, so I, I, I checked in with the local Dallas-Fort Worth office and uh, started that process. Okay, so let's just kind of start with the the general question, which is, uh, what is Culture Index? Yeah, so Culture Index is a is a program. It's a system and a process for growing businesses. 
You say, what do you mean by that? Think of it as Moneyball for business. So we're using data, using analytics to help businesses grow. So it starts with, who do we have on the bus? Yep. Who is in the right seat? Who's not? And why? Based on the data. And what I mean by this is, psychologists tell us that our personality traits are set early in life. Nature nurture sets our traits. Many will say it's as early as age four or five or six. Not that they're all obvious that early. No one's going to say that it's after age 12. Once the traits are set, they're set. They don't change. So we understand in a very short process what the traits are. And we know what people are born on this earth to do and to do well. So we understand who's in the right seat, who's not, and why based on the data. We understand what motivates people, what demotivates people, how to communicate with people in ways that will that are that are going to make them happiest. The programs about reducing turnover. Why do people quit? Sixty uh-huh. percent of the reason is they quit people. I hate my manager. I hate my coworkers. Well, if I hate my coworkers. Whose fault is it? Yep. It's the manager. So. Uh, so it's 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 making sure that we understand what makes people tick, and then the application of that knowledge is the magic. Who created it? Yeah, good question. Gary Wallstrom is the founder. Okay. So Gary it has well over fifty years' experience in this field. He was a Russian linguist in the Vietnam War. He was taught how to behaviorally interview people and pick up on things that we pick up on and many other things, you know, verbal, nonverbal, those kinds of things. He got a job as a bartender back in the 70s for steak and ale and uh, did a great job. Did such a great job that uh, steak and ale decided they they were going to give him the opportunity to open a store. Well, because of his behavioral profiling skills and his results-oriented pattern, uh, he did very well. Yep. And then he went to him and said, Gary, we want you to open up half of the stores in the U.S. And he thought to himself, well, that's great. Now, this was owned by Brinker at the time. Right. He thought, he thought great, but how do I leverage my profiling skills? I can't. <laughs> so he looked for anything on the market that might help him. He found Predictive Index, and he used Predictive Index to help him open up all those stores. They were very successful. And that's so, because he knew which people should be in right. which parts of the restaurant. Right. So so there are certain patterns uh, that are going to lend themselves to the very best experience at a restaurant from a wait staff perspective. Those people aren't necessarily the, the, the best to lead others. So that was another type pattern. And then there were patterns, there were process-oriented perfectionists that he was looking for for cooks. Yep. Uh, he, he didn't want anybody to, to innovate. He needed somebody to follow the process. Right. Right. Yep. So that's that's the short of that. He wanted to buy Predictive Index. It wasn't for sale. Along the way, he did build a Predictive Index business. You know, he, he, he built it. He and a, a few of his peers had decided that as opposed to, a, to an HR program, it should be a strategic program. Right. In other words, we're not going to HR. We're going to the going to the business owner to, to drive business results. So Culture Index is about driving more revenue, more profit, and sustainable scale for businesses. In 2004, he decided to create 
culture index. So we hired a psychometrician and actually a team of psychometricians. It took them over five years. And by the way, a psychometrician is a psych. Think of a psychologist with deep mathematics. Think of a psychologist marrying a mathematician and having a baby. <laughs> so they study they study personalities, and uh, it took them over five years and every bit of his money to develop what we have today. So we have the sharpest tool in the shed that we know of. We have the most valid survey of its kind, certainly that can be completed in under 10 minutes, but that's not the reason people work with Culture Index. The reason is because we know and we teach how to interpret the data in ways that help businesses scale. Yep. Okay, so... We've been talking about traits and things that you look for in people. And so let's just start with kind of breaking down the seven uh, traits that a culture index profile would measure, which are autonomy, social ability, pace, conformity, energy units, logic, and ingenuity. So let's just start with autonomy. Right. What's that measuring? Right. So half of the world is wired by age, by age 12 to advance our position. That would be high autonomy. Half the world is wired by the age of 12 to secure the supply line. That would be low autonomy. So let's talk about high autonomy. When my autonomy is high, I'm a self-starter. I start without being prompted. I, uh, I have prioritization skills. I am decisive. I'm future-oriented, macro in my thinking. That's, that's high autonomy. Okay. Low autonomy would be someone who's born on this earth to be part of something larger than themselves. So for the, for the low autonomy person, it's not, about the, it's not about them. It's about the team. It's about the tribe. So these people are team-oriented, tribal, risk-averse don't like confrontation, and, and, and they're all about being part of uh, the winning team. They want to win, but it's not about them, it's about the team. Yep. Social ability. Social ability. Half the world needs, wants, and seeks social acceptance. That's the high social ability. So what's the benefit there? People-oriented. Everything they accomplish is with and through people. They build relationships intuitive, empathetic, motivational, people glue, people weld. That's their gift. That's high social ability. High social ability. Yep. When that social ability is low, if they're about things, not people. Think versus socialize. So, think of the, the low social ability trait as introspective, private, but they have gifts that the high social ability trait doesn't have, and that is that they are analytical, they're technical. They're going to say they're realistic. The high social ability person would say, okay, whatever. You're actually kind of skeptical because you don't accept anything at face value. It has to be proved to you. So for the low social ability person, give me facts and data, save the fluff. Yep. Because I'm not going to believe it just because you say it. Right. Uh, if I don't need one or seek social acceptance, 
am I going to sugarcoat it? No. <laughs> the low B person is going to give you the direct or the blunt answer. Yep. That's social ability. The the speed of movement would be the pace, as you as you had mentioned. When the when the when the pace is or the on the on the high side, we find that people that are patient, people that are process oriented, creatures of habit. So for them, they do their best work when they can do it methodically and in sequential order. It's all about the process. If we can build a process around it, we can perfect it. Yep. If it's repeatable, it's perfectable. They like the predictable work environment. They like the routine. What they do not like is change, but they can be very efficient. Think of the cardiac surgeon that does the same type surgery all day, every day, gets to be very efficient at it. So it's not that he's slow or she's slow. They're methodical in their approach. And they, and they preferred that type of work. For the opposite, it would be the impatient people. So these people are tense, impatient, quick. They don't do well doing the same type thing every day. They need variety and change. They do well with stress and pressure. So think of a, an emergency room doctor, right? <laughs> so I'm, so I'm, I'm, I'm setting somebody's broken arm. Somebody comes in with a gunshot wound. I've got I've to I've get that stabilized. While that's going on, you know, somebody else comes in with a broken leg. And, I'm, you know, I actually do well with stress and pressure. I crave it at some level, and we measure the measure that measure the uh, intensity of these traits. I crave it to do my best work. Right. So, like a a coder in Silicon Valley might have like a high what we call C or high pace because they can stay focused on the same thing all day long, and that makes them happy. Right. Think of uh, a sniper, Chris Kyle. Yep. Being able to to, to sit out there all day every day and maintain focus during the heat, getting bit by bugs, no restroom breaks, staying absolutely still. Got it. And being able to focus. Yep. Conformity. Half the world are perfectionists. That's high conformity. They have a compulsion to complete. So when you need a compulsion to complete, you need somebody with high conformity. Detailed, thorough, finite, by the book, precise, perfectionist, anal retentive, particular, black and white, not gray, yep. right and wrong. If it's not right, it's wrong. Get it right. Yep. Dot your I's, cross your T's. That's, that's the high conformity. Very hard on themselves. Why? Because their standards perfection. Right. So if they know, you know, I say by the book, when they know what the book is, they hold themselves to that standard. And by extension, they're judgmental because they hold others to that standard as well. Right. Low conformity. <laughs> uh, leave the details to others. Color outside the lines. In some cases, just color because <laughs> you don't know, really know where the lines are. And that w so their gifts are that they're out of the box creative. Everything's possible. And they're, not, they're not bound by the rules. And 
while they may forget some things they'd like to remember, the good news is they're going to forget some things they want to forget. You right. know, that's in the past. We're moving forward, and I'm not going to be hung up on spilt milk. You know, that's yep. that was in the past. Uh, and the downside to that also is the follow-up and follow-through isn't their greatest gift. Uh, and, um, and re- again, they're going to forget some things they might like to remember. So high-conformity finisher, low-conformity is more of a starter. Depends on where the rest of the traits are, but yeah. Yeah. Right. Well, high, high conformity, think of that as brakes, low conformity, no brakes. Right. Yeah. Energy units. Right. So we all have different mental levels of mental stamina, different size batteries in our brain. So some of us uh, need more sleep than others. Some of us need more recharge time than others. Some people need very little sleep, four yep. or five hours of sleep. They can go, 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 more like an Energizer bunny. Um, others like me need our sleep. And uh, while I can work a 16-hour day and have a kick-ass day, yeah, I'm not going to be doing that on a daily basis. It's just the way it is. Yep. Right. Logic. Yeah. So think of it as uh, the way people make decisions. And it's the filter for new information. So is my filter for new information more emotional or factual? Uh, so, you know, low logic would be people that uh, make, make decisions uh, factoring emotion in heavily. Their filter is going to be emotional. And they'll get the, their feelings hurt from time to time when the offending party didn't mean to do so yep. because, because the filter is emotional. On the high side, factual. So those people are going to make decisions without allowing emotion to factor in at all and can come across as emotionally detached. Yep. Uh, and then there's uh, what we call an emotionally available competence so that uh, they'll pick up on emotion that can help them win. Yep. And then ingenuity? Ingenuity is measuring inventive thoughts. Most of us are normal in this range, uh, which just simply means we don't have inventive thoughts popping into our th- our head throughout the day every day. When I say inventive, I'm talking about Edison inventing the light bulb when we're carrying torches or kerosene lamps. Yep. Uh, on, the high, on the high side, people are going to have 80, on average, inventive, unusually creative thoughts every day. Now, most of those ideas aren't great or related to what they're working on, some of the ideas they have are truly fantastic. So think of Bezos, Musk, Freud, Disney, Einstein, Jobs, high high eye traits. High eye traits. Okay, so all these traits are measured in this survey, which let's just take one minute to describe the survey. I remember when I first met you and you said, hey, take this, it'll take five minutes. And I thought there's no way that it'll be able to pick up on who I am. It's basically two word banks, maybe 50 or 60 words. And the first one, you just pick the words that describe you. And then the second one is uh, describe yourself in the workplace. So can you just paint some color as to why those are important? And Right. Uh, the first question is describe yourself. Yeah. The second is who do you need to be at work to be successful? So so, so there are 174 words to choose from, and uh, you can choose as few as you'd like, as many as you'd like, uh, whatever any you order. choose, any order. It's going to, it's going to, whatever you do is going to tell us a lot 
about you. So we're going to be able to understand who you are based on, you know, based on the first question, Mm -hmm. describe yourself. Uh, Who do you need to be successful at work? Uh, What we're looking for is how properly aligned is the, is the person, Mm -hmm. right? How, how, how much are they, do they feel the need to, uh, to behaviorally modify in order, in order to be successful? Right. Okay. So, Somebody takes their test. The output of that is a what we call a dot pattern. We don't have to go into the actual dot patterns, but it basically breaks people out into 19 different patterns. So there's, we could call it 19 different types of people. Is that the way to say that? Yeah. So there are tens of thousands of possible combinations of yep. traits. And so what we do is we, we fit everyone into one of 19 what we call typified patterns okay and those patterns are then further broken down into kind of four call it categories of people which are visionary people technical people social people and organizational people right so maybe let's just start with visionary people what are the types of people that would fall in a visionary category right those are people whose whose greatest gift is vision. They're results-oriented, a lot more interested in results than they are with the the minutia. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're data-driven, so so data resonates with them in ways that it doesn't with with half of the world. So they're going they're going to look at metrics, and pretty quickly the metrics are going to t- or start telling them a story. When we have to get bigger, stronger, faster, and when we have to innovate, when we have to shake it up, I'm looking for one of those patterns. Technical people. Technical people are also data-driven. They're born on this earth to keep the trains running on time. Mm-hmm. Compulsion to complete, do what I say, say what I do, judge themselves in terms of their ability to get it right, have high expectations of others as well. So when we need data-driven perfectionists, I'm looking for a technical pattern. And in in a company, like what would be some positions that might fall into a technical pattern? Uh, It's going to depend on what the the goals of the company are. So we it could be a it could be CFO, it could be could be COO, it could be. I mean, we we find them everywhere. Yeah, we we find them in operations. We find them actually being customer service. Yep. Right. Social people. Yeah. Now these are your optimists. Okay. These are the people that remind us that everything's going to be okay. Yep. And when it's about relational sales, where the first, where the most important thing is to build a relationship and then get something done, it's going to be one of these patterns. And some of the best counselors on earth are going to be in this category because they don't they don't judge others. They're great listeners. Uh, they truly love people because they're people. Mm-hmm. Uh, s- some of the most uh, creative marketing people are in this in this area. Uh, some of the best experiences that you have uh, at a restaurant can be from a from a from a pattern in this a social pattern. And then organizational people, right? So so these people are wired to execute upon that which has been directed. Generally speaking, there's one one of these patterns is is wired to to give direction, but the rest of them tell me what to do and I'll do it. 
Uh, some, some have more people skills than others. Some have are more technical and analytical than others. But these are these are the people that are that are born to, they, to keep the trains running on time. But uh, they're going to learn from experience versus uh, being uh, the best problem solvers. Right. Can we talk just a little bit maybe about like complementary people? So I fall in the visionary category and you've been outspoken about like who the people need to be surrounding me and on my team in order for me to, you know, stay sane. So maybe if we just said like what buckets pair up well together? Yeah. So data-driven people tend to understand each other better than people that, you know, than, than a data-driven person who, working with someone who's not. Right. Uh, that, that's one area. Results-oriented people tend to understand each other better uh, than, than people that are, as an example, you know, Chris is all about big ideas, bigger, stronger, faster, growth, go, 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 go. And you're data driven, but even if even if you're talking to somebody else who's data driven, but their greatest gift is micro, get let's get it right, Chris. Yeah. Then that's nice, but you know how much more fun is it for Chris to be thinking big picture, right? Than being drawn into the the details. Is that why I hate sitting in meetings all day? (laughs) That's one of the reasons, (laughs) right? Um, right. Yeah. One of those things is, you know, have a lack of, you have a lack of patience, you have a short attention span and you want to keep it big picture. Okay. So people take these, the test it's formulated in a dot pattern, which y'all teach people how to, um, interpret. And like you said, there's thousands of combinations. And so being able to interpret that is important. I think my next question when you're meeting a company for the first time, so you've met the, call it the CEO of the company, they're on board with moving forward, kind of what happens from there? And then I kind of want to dive into like the statistics behind like how many people tend to be in the wrong seat in a, you know, 25, 50, 100 person company, like maybe percentages. So what happens after a company signs on to Culture Index? Well, so real quickly, you go to cultureindex.com, it's not going to be particularly impressive, which is by design. You know, we, we want to keep it pretty, pretty high level. So our brochure is, is a demonstration, right? So we go in and we, we survey a lot of people from the company to, 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 to demonstrate the validity of what we're doing, to help them understand who's in the right seat, who's not, and why, what the data is revealing. They make the decision to move forward. And there are, Chris, it's going to depend on the company because there are sometimes certain companies have more people in the right seats than others. Yep. Uh, I'm working with a nonprofit um, in the area that has 50 leaders, one of which is wired to be in leadership. and the results will bear that out and and somebody might say well who's who are you to say who's to be in leadership or not uh who's to say the other 49 aren't leaders because i would i would bet if they were sitting here they'd probably say well stanton you're full of shit yeah well and so good question so the 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 first question i have is what do you what what are your goals what do you want to accomplish 
So we don't go in and, and prescribe and say, you know, you have nobody that's wired to be in leadership. If I understand what their goals are and what they want to accomplish, then I can look at who's in the right seat, who's not and what, and why based on the data. And one of the things that would, that would lead me to, let's just say a company wants to grow and they, they have to get bigger, stronger, faster. And there's, an, there's a department, let's say it's operations, and they want to grow at a rate of 15% a year, 20% a year. And we have uh, somebody in operations who needs to be liked uh, more than they need to win. That's their, that's their wiring. There's nothing wrong with that. They're not risk-oriented. They don't like confrontation. What's the likelihood that person is going to be able to hold others accountable? What's the, what's the likelihood that person might be able to be is going to be results oriented, right? So that's, those are the kinds of things I look at. And just kind of on that topic, you obviously get people that probably see their results and it's probably, well, to be clear, there's no right or wrong result. It's just, these are the different types of people that y'all have identified. If somebody's saying, I know I took your test, but that's all bullshit. How do you, how do you respond to something like that? Uh, then what would I, what I would do is go through it, you know, uh, construct by construct. Right. Uh, they're the ones who gave this to us. We don't measure clinical or abnormal. I mean, assuming they're not clinical, uh, they're going to agree with the interpretation. Got it. May not like it, but, uh, but we're going to focus on, well, here's what you're great at. Yeah. Let's let's just get you in a role where you can do that. How much more fun are you going to have? How often do you see people that have a, uh, a profile and they've been in this and, and then after you've read the profile, it's like, this is who the person says they are, but then who they need to be at work is somebody totally opposite. Yeah. We call that reverse polarity. So, so we're measuring everything on a bell curve. All, all these traits, uh, a lot of these traits on a bell curve. So, and we're measuring, uh, we know what normative is based on the bell curve and we know what higher than normal is, lower than normal. When I have a higher than normal trait go go low in, in the job or a low, lower than normal trait go high, let's say they're, they're, they have a higher than normal trait and then at work they feel, it, they feel like they need to be lower than normal. Uh, they have a lower normal than lower than normal trait, and at work they feel the need to be higher than normal. That's reverse polarity. So that's that's kind of an out of body experience. So they feel the need to be someone very different than who they are. Yep. So do they even know that they're having to be somebody different, or do they kind of realize that when you start talking to them? Like if you've never done this before. Yeah. They they many times will know they're under stress. They don't necessarily completely understand why. Right. So this just explains it. Yeah. It's just data. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Do you ever see these patterns where maybe somebody's been at, again, same role, but at multiple different companies, you read their pattern and who they are versus who they need to be at work is like two opposite people. But then you look at their resume and it's like, you know, I've been an accountant here. I've been an accountant here. I've been an accountant here. Are they typically leaving how, how do I ask this? Are they typically leaving the company before because they think they don't like the company, but in reality, they just hate being an accountant? And so they keep they keep the accountant job, but they keep thinking, well, the company is the reason why I'm just going to go on to the next company. 
that does happen. It does happen. Yeah. You know, hopefully for their for their sake, they they realize you know, that they just need to need to do something else. Yeah. How many times have you presented the facts, the the data that y'all get, and somebody's like, "Oh my God, I've been waiting to hear something like this my whole life," and you just freed me up. Uh, we do we do hear that. Um, we do hear it. You know, quite often. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Okay, so let's just take like a. The, my friend Brent Bashore says all the time, uh, small businesses don't stay small on purpose. Assuming that a company has a great product and something that could really scale but is maintained a small business, you usually look at like who are the people uh, in the company. So you've looked at hundreds, if not thousands of small businesses, the construct of people in the companies. Are there some common themes of why uh, small businesses stay small from a people standpoint. Is there usually a something critical missing, or you know, common diagnoses? There are some things that can be in common, but this can be the cause of this. Can, can there can be multiple causes? As an example, the number one pattern, proverbial number one pattern that we measure, that is best at getting a, a, a business off the ground. Uh, is not the best pattern for scaling a business. So their greatest gift is, you know, getting it off the ground. But they, but they are very. Con- their nature is to be very controlling, and so their their need to control is a lot greater than their ability to extend trust. And so they will many times uh, hire people that are that are servant hearted, and as opposed to other visionary patterns that help them scale because they want to they want to maintain control that's one reason there are other there are other situations where you have someone who's just really smart yeah and they come up with a great idea but they're not the person that is wired they're not a big gas pedal they're not a bigger stronger faster person and maybe they feel like that I not only I not only need to keep the title, but I need to be that person. And so they fool themselves into thinking that somehow that might work. So like Thomas Edison would be great at inventing the light bulb, but maybe not be the person to go build the light bulb company. Almost certainly. Yeah. What do uh, inventors typically fall in? Which type of uh, category? Uh, It's going to, that's going to be one trait that we measure. So it could, it could, it could fall into a number of. Okay. It can fall into... But that's ingenuity, basically. Right. Okay. Now, well, it depends on how how naturally they're hard on themselves and how hard they are on those inventive thoughts. You know, someone who's who's not hard on those invented thoughts is going to give is going to give some of those thoughts more of a chance to grow and sprout and uh, develop. Right. Kind of going back a little bit to the common mistakes that kind of cut you off, but you had mentioned kind of the the visionary guy that is like a one-man band with a bunch of helpers. Uh, then you talked about maybe the inventor that, you know, invents something great, but also thinks he can build a company and they stall out. Anything else that kind of comes to mind of why small businesses stall out? Um, yes. It, it really, Chris, it, it always gets back to who do we have on the bus? Are they in the right seat? based on the wiring. And when I understand what the goals are, I can tell any company based on this five-minute survey 
who's in the right seat, who's not, and why, and it doesn't mess. Yep. That's the, that's it. So, so it, it, it all gets back to right people, right seats. Maybe just sticking on the theme of, uh, in, in my uh, experience and people I know, I think the first example you gave of kind of this big visionary with lots of kind of yes people around them tends to be maybe a more common theme than some like great invention. So maybe if we just stuck there. So you have this guy or, or woman that has started this business, hard charged it, started it, got it off the ground. And you said the people that start things don't always necessarily scale well. That's a unique, being able to kind of carry that along. So like, what do you tell that person? How hard is it to get that ringleader to to understand that he's the person in, in the way? Yeah, well, the first question is always going to be, what do you want to do with this? Well, I mean, because building and building a lifestyle company is fine. If that's if that's what you want to do, no, we have to, no, we have to scale it. I mean, okay, so what does scaling mean to you? I mean, what's what's the rate of growth? I want to grow. I have to grow twenty percent a year. Why? Why do you have to grow twenty percent a year? Really understanding what these reasons are. Okay, so what happens if you don't? There's no. There's no. If we don't, we we have to. We will. What do I have to do to grow twenty percent a year? Now, now I can now I can be now I can help. Yep. Because now I'm going to look at who, who's who's in leadership at every role, including that person. And based on what you've told me, you have to do. That person may I may I may say keep the title, but you're going to have to go over here and do you know and do something else and bring in somebody else that's wired to, to, to drive the, that kind of growth. And so, so it, it's, it's a facts and circumstances situation. Do most small businesses even know what they want? Like every, um, I think uh, the hard charging guy that's the visionary, like the easy answer is like, I just want to grow and scale and be huge and everything else. But when you kind of start dissecting it, do you find that most small business owners like think they know, but they don't really even know what they want? Yeah, a lot of, uh, first of all, we're not, really we don't tend to attract lifestyle businesses right yeah. so but we we do we are we do attract growth the the ceo with a growth mindset tends to like what we do and uh, some of them know exactly what their what their goals are but when we ask these kinds of questions it does for a number of people force them to really sit back and think it through so because because one of my questions okay so you say you want to grow again at a certain rate, how committed are you to that? The, one of the reasons I'm asking is, what if that means? What if that means turnover? What do you mean? Well, hopefully everybody on the bus would have a seat, but in a small business, a lot of, kind, a lot of times that's not the case. So, how if you say that's what you want to do, what are you willing to do to get there? Yep. Right. So we have to have those kinds of discussions, and it helps them understand just how how driven they are to hit those goals. Right. How far they are from getting right. to the goal. Or... And, and Chris, a lot of that's going to depend on what their, what their pattern is. I mean, the, the, the more, the, the bigger the gas pedal is, I'm not having those, I'm not having to ask those questions. They're, they know. Yeah. <laughs> and they're, they're just, right. They're going to tell me whatever it takes. So yeah, next question. Yeah. 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 <laughs> 
they're not even listening right. to the end of the first question. Right. Uh, if if we kind of painted a picture of maybe two different type of CEOs, the starter, and then let's just talk about what their characteristics might be like, and then maybe the second would be the guy that actually can scale something from a CEO seat. What does the starter look like? What's their profile and traits that uh, you would see in somebody okay. like that? Starter, big ideas, have to win, don't want to win, have to win, will win, uh, relentless, enough's never enough, no excuses, don't tell me about the pain, show me the baby, we got to go. Those are traits that are in common uh, with, with people that are, that are great at starting, right? When it comes to finishing, well, when it comes to scaling, there are some people that are better at getting into some details and better at, well, there's some people that are, that are their greatest gift is strategic leadership. Mm-hmm. And, and then, then there are some people that are born on this earth that are better at leading people as well. And so, so what we're looking for for the, for the sustainable year-over-year growth is a leader that can hold others, others accountable, that can get into some minutia easier than some others, and can get into the details that are, that are necessary to, to drive the results year over year. And, and, that, and that have the, enough stick-to-itiveness to, to continue to do it year over year. I mean, some people are, are better at, at starting, uh, getting it up and running next, you know, hand that, hand that off, let me start something else, because I, I love the the thrill of the start. You know, that yep. just, that just that, and I'm great at it. I love it. I enjoy it. But the maintaining is just like, uh, you know, I, yeah. that's not my, that's not my gift. So like a, a starter that knows they're a starter, they've come to grips with this is my value add. Have you seen, uh, I'm sure you've met tons of people that are, they understand that. They don't look at it as a negative. Yeah. I think one of the things I've struggled with is, maybe looking at where my weaknesses are is like, well, I'm just going to get better at those weaknesses rather than, nope, I'm just going to go focus on what I'm, uh, what I'm strong at. So my question is, uh, folks that have started lots of companies and been very successful, when do they know their time is up? Like, when's it time to transition and, and move on? Yeah, I think early on before they, uh, many times before people understand what their gifts are, they stay around too long. Yep. And they can become destructive as opposed to constructive because uh, because you feel like well and I you know you, you feel like hey it's I've got the title I own it I really need to be doing things and I really like doing but but that's what I'm supposed to do and it's when they when they understand what their gifts are then uh, I've heard people like that use the terms it's very freeing to understand. That I don't need to fight myself every day. Yeah. <laughs> Why don't I just do, go do what I enjoy doing? Right. Now the key is, if you're going to do that, you better have somebody running it that you can trust. But yeah. And when does a like if you just think of a, a business, when does a, is there a certain size that the starting starts to flame out, or is it kind of situation by situation? Uh, situation by situation. Some some will, uh, but it, it's it's going to depend on the pattern. I right. mean, there are certain patterns that shouldn't do anything more than a couple of years <laughs> at yeah. the most before they move on because you know keep keep the keep the ownership uh, 
and and move on because you know go do something else and 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 start something else. It, it's going to depend on the pattern. Okay, so a company's come on board. They have taken their tests. They understand where the org chart looks like, who's on the bus, who's not. But then they start hiring uh, new people. And this is one of the things I absolutely love about uh, Culture Index is what's called the C-job. So before I ask you the question, just walking you through where my head's at, and again, this is just my view of how we did things. I'm sure there's small businesses that aren't on Culture Index but still do it well. It's like a job would come up and you know, HR or somebody would come up with a job description, but they wouldn't really ask all the people in the office that would be working with that person more day to day, like, hey, what do you think this job should look like? Or what type of person should this look like? Um, how should they act? And so you you end up just putting up this job description and you haven't really got buy-in from the team. And so y'all have created the C job. And so my question is, what is the C job and why is it valuable? Yeah, so think of that as a required behavior survey. So our, our program is designed to be executed or run at a manager level because the manager knows what they need for any, any open position. So it starts with a detailed outcome-based job description. What do I expect this person to have accomplished in six months, a year? three years, whatever it is, uh, what, are their, what are their daily activities look like? When we can look at that and when we see these required behavior surveys come back from peers, anybody that person's going to report to, anybody that might report to that person, and we have input from all those people on the job description and we're looking at those required behavior graphs, uh, what we call C-jobs, then we're going to see some some things that are in common. We all agree in these areas. There's some disagreement in some other areas. That's great because now we can go back and understand why we might disagree. You know, somebody on the team might actually have a really good point that everybody else didn't think about. So we want to make sure we get that right. And then we're going to, the company's going to choose one of the 19 patterns as a filter for this role. Based yep. on the job description, based on the based on the C jobs, the dot job description is going to properly written. We ought to be able to look at it and see which traits we need, uh, the order of the traits, those kinds of things. As we're ready to go fish for talent, as people apply for this role, they're going to be ranked in the order in which they they fit the desired pattern, zero to one hundred percent. We will have a discussion as to what acceptable variances from the desired pattern might be okay, what acceptable variances might not be okay, because roughly 5% of all people on earth are going to have that pattern. Right. So we, may, we, 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 may, we need to have the discussion about what are we willing to live with, what are we not. Why would we interview anybody that doesn't fit within that acceptable variance? Because if I need... You know, Donald Trump's never going to be Bernie Sanders. He's never going to be Donald Trump. Right? right. So, so if I need, if I need the traits, I want to make sure those are those are right before I start looking at the rest of it. Yep. The rest of it matters: the experience, the attitude, the work ethic, the want to, the the grit. All those things matter. Yep. After we know what the traits are. So, to break that down, you know, you're going to hire a 
a, a vice president of acquisitions, the team at Ford Capital would maybe have four or five people take this C-job survey, which is internal, which is it asks 50 questions or so. This is who I think this person should be, and this is what they should be doing. Those, those results from those five people come in. Y'all's algorithm kind of puts that into like, here's kind of the person that you said you need. And then when we start fishing and people send in, this is how we do it, people start sending in resumes. They send in a resume, they, auto, they, they fill out the survey. We know immediately if they're within our range of viable candidates. If they're not, we've saved ourselves a lot of time in not interviewing people that were never right to begin with. Correct. And we only interview people that have the profile of the type of person that we want to uh, have on board. That is correct. Yep. I think y'all did a really eye-opening study on kind of the cost of turnover. It's not just, you know, you kind of lose somebody and then you got to go, you know, put a job ad up and find them. Like there's, a, I think you said for a $30,000 salaried position, turnover cost is actually double that. It's about 62000 how do you think about ter- cost of turnover? Right. So one of the things that I've found is you can do a lot of Google searches and you can find that the cost of turnover is going to be anywhere from two times the salary to 10 times the salary if it's a client-facing position. I mean, it could literally be a 10 times a salary uh, cost. So I'm a lot better off whenever I let the company tell me what's that what's that turnover cost you because it's a whole lot more effective when it's coming from them than it is me but no one's going to argue that it's that it's not extremely expensive yeah so anything we can do to reduce that you know that's it, it doesn't take very much to pay for this program it's going to range anywhere from two to ten x okay do you have any kind of success stories that come to mind uh, of people that have really scaled their business because of culture and or because of not just because of culture index, but culture index played a huge role in it. Right. So you and I have a mutual friend and that's in the uh, aerospace business. And he hired uh, a former client of mine to, to take, to turn around one of his underperforming divisions. Uh, My client is the one who walked me into this, into this company, and he used the program to to turn around that underperforming division, and it took him about three months before they were cash flow positive. He went through and just and did mass did a mass uh, layoff, and then uh, hired a lot of technical patterns, a lot of people that were great great problem solvers, great finishers, and I was blown away. <laughs> By, by the speed at which it was able to happen, right? So uh, that's, that's one. There, there are a number of things, Chris, I mean, even from a more tactical standpoint, the way I'm, I'm making a big difference with clients is working with individual people that are born on this earth, on this earth to be managers, and I'm helping them become leaders. Mm-hmm. How do you do that? So, well, one example, construction company in Austin. Had a, had a good guy, technical pattern, independent, hard on himself, great at what he does, but he had 13 direct reports. Now, I don't care what your pattern is, that's too many. Yeah. And he was becoming the problem. 
as good as he is, he was becoming the problem. Why? Because everything went through him. Well, he has high autonomy. So how much does this guy like being told anything? He didn't like being told anything. So there's a, there was a chapter in one of Jocko Willink's books that was written just for him. <laughs> so I asked Is this him, extreme ownership? Uh, this one? one was the dichotomy of leadership chapter okay. two. Okay. And it's, oh, it's so powerful for this. So I knew that, 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 that I needed to get him thinking about this before I showed up. I made a trip down there, but I asked him to, uh, actually he got the audible. So, so he had listened to it and he had, he had been listening ahead and uh, it, it, so when I showed up, say, you know, hey, um, I'm going to call him Rick. <laughs> Rick, I'm not here to convince you of anything. I, I'm not here to tell you anything. What do you, what do you want to accomplish here? What, what are your goals? Every, every, every person has high autonomy, has goals. How important is it to, for you to develop in your leadership skills? What did you learn from that, from that chapter? What did, what did it speak to you, Right. So, so pretty quickly, he came to the conclusion that what had made him successful was not going to get him to the next level. He didn't fully appreciate how he was hurting the company. When he found that out, it crushed him because he, because he, he has, he, he's already so hard on himself. How am I failing? I'm, I'm, I'm not doing well here. I didn't realize this was as big an issue as it is. Like, hey, let's, let's just, Let's figure out together what, what we might be able to do to help solve this. So he reflected. He decided, it wasn't me, this was all his ideas. I mean, it was, I, asked, I asked the right questions, but he came back and said, you know what? I've identified three people that, that I can trust to be in leadership. So we got those people up to speed on the same information, how to, how to be leaders, took them through the process. And so now they're, a, they're able to have conversations, healthy conversations, even among themselves, because, you know, Rick is going to have disagreements with each of these three leaders that are now reporting to him. But instead of just thinking, oh, you're a jerk, you're a jerk, now, we're, now they can solve those, they can solve some of the conflict through, with data and understand that here's why we're disagreeing uh, and, and take it away from something that would be personal and something that's, that's more based on data. So when, w- when we can do that at over and over and over and over again throughout organizations, it's based on what they want to accomplish. That's, that's going to help me understand, is Rick even in the right role? Yep. Right? But if he is, then, then how important is it for, for him to develop as a leader? And it's my job to help people. Now, there are people, Chris, that are intellectually curious, and there are people that are not. I find you to be intellectually curious because I knew from the very first time we met, you read a lot of books. You consume knowledge. Not everybody does. Not everybody's open. They, they, they think, oh, I know it all, and I'm not really open to learning more. I make a suggestion for a, for a book, and they say, yeah, well, you ought to read this. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and, I'm, and I'm open. I want to hear, actually, I want to hear your your recommendations too. So, so we, we found a very big difference in, in anybody that is intellectually curious, that, that understands they don't know it all, that craves knowledge, that, that's, that's, that, that wants to learn, and that they apply the knowledge. Big difference in, in the success of anybody that is versus isn't. Yep.
I wasn't going to ask this question, but I thought about it, and I'm just going to go ahead and ask it because I'm not a rule follower. When we talked a couple years ago, and, and I had learned all the patterns and the positions, and and this is not a political discussion, but I just said, do you have data on the types of people that make it to powerful positions in politics? And uh, there's a quote that every system is perfectly designed to get the results that it gets. Yeah. And we as a country for probably a couple elections now have been super divided and we all seem to think that the people that are running for president are all kind of shitheads. And how, how does this happen? Why don't great people uh, lead this country? And you had some interesting answers about like the traits that would uh, that people have that would make them want to be a politician. Uh, can you just describe like the data that y'all have and and how um, politicians' profile might look? I know they're not all the same, but there's certain things you said that were like, oh, no wonder we're always over budget and over promising and never delivering. Right. So this is a few years ago now. We surveyed thirty uh, some odd U.S. senators. And I think there was one out of that group that had high autonomy. Those with high autonomy are big picture oriented. They are, you know, they, they naturally peer into the future and see, and they naturally see the big picture, which means most people were not, which, mean, which meant most, most of those senators uh, orientation is of today. Going by memory, I believe every one of them, people solve problems different ways, right? There, there are people that have critical thinking skills, and then there are people that don't. There are people that solve problems based on data, uh, which touch, we touched on earlier, and there are people that don't. And so the, the, the majority of those senators solve problems based on feelings. What feels right? What have I experienced in the past? They learn from experience. They base their decision-making primarily on experience and what feels right. So we have a lot of people that have people skills that are, you know, in Congress, uh, whether it's Congress or Senate, that's why they that, run campaigns that, and get right, elected, right? That uh, that are mis that that are going to be told their whole life that they're type A, which is a nebulous term, which just means that they're you know energetic, people oriented. Possibly, it it may mean that they're uh, that they're perfectionists, so they hold themselves to high standards. But again, very few of them are data driven. They're not looking at. They're not looking into the future to say what 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 the hell is this doing to us? Uh, what are the consequences of doing what feels good today? And plus, they're covering their butts, right? So there's no term limit. So they're so they're doing everything everything they can to maintain their their position, and so that that drives a lot of their decision making too. So it's it's a uh, it was eye opening. It was sobering. It was. Neither you or I like to spend a lot of time being depressed, but yeah. <laughs> at least momentarily, it's just tough to, it's really tough to see. Plus, the people that are going to be the most effective 
uh, aren't the most electable. Yep. (laughs) The system is not designed to bring in future-thinking people making decisions on facts and logic because a lot of politics is emotion and how we feel. Right. There's a lot of that going on, too, a lot of emotion. So, you know, the the founding fathers, you know, if they could have done anything, if they could have done anything differently, I would have seen, you know, term limits. They just didn't ever think of it. They thought, you know, they're going to go back to the farm after a few years and somebody else will come in, but that's not what's happened. Yep. A couple more questions, uh, and then we'll get into a couple fun ones at the end. So you you meet a business, they've got the money, they can afford culture index. They've taken the first, I, I don't know if it's free, but usually you'll go in and do yeah. some free testing just to yep. kind of paint a picture. Why do most people not do this? Because when I read, when I did it, and this is no sales pitch, I'm not making any money for pushing culture index. It's just been a life-changing thing for me, not just for my business, but for people that I interact with on a day-to-day basis in my personal life. It seems so obvious to me that somebody would want to do this. Why do most people, what, what's what's a reason you get a no? Yeah. So we know before we review the data with a business owner or an executive, whether they're going to ask buying decisions, I mean, or buying questions. I mean, so uh, for someone like you in a company like yours uh, with your pattern, big gas pedal, Results oriented, no no nonsense, uh, no time for mistakes. If a company like yours, with an executive pattern like yours, is profitable, probably going to sign up. Yep. Uh, there are so you almost know before you get the note unless, that it's unless be I were no. to screw it up, right? Yeah. Then, which then then there are, then there are executives that are more, you know. So you're a big gas pedal. So let's say you have an executive that's a brake pedal. Well, your perspective as a gas pedal, big gas pedal is, I see it, it's clear to me, I don't need historical evidence to make a future-oriented decision. I, the evidence that I that I need, you've already shown me in this, you know, in this demo of yours because you didn't miss. Yeah. You, know, you nailed everybody uh, in terms of their, their traits and their behavior. Uh, so, so for that person who is historically oriented or a brake pedal, uh, they're going to look at it and say, well, what historical evidence do we have that this is going to work? So then they're going to want, uh, we've got validity, a validity reports. They're going to want other validity reports. And then they're going to say, well, you know, I need references. Well, I need references, specific references that, that have experienced these specific things. And then, so in other words, they can't get enough historical evidence to make a future-oriented decision. Uh, so a lot of it has to do with the uh, the patterns of the of the owner or the uh, executive and whether they're profitable. But if they're if they have a pattern like yours and they're profitable, they they ask questions and they they tend to sign up. And for the record, I probably should ask this at the beginning. You know, depending on where you fall on science, your traits are set. I call it age four, maybe as far as age 12, you made a pretty bold statement and said, once they're set, they're set. There's no way for people to change who they are without some major medical, maybe brain injury or something of that nature. There's all these self-help books and all this stuff that's, you know, you're reading about how to be a better person and do all these things. I'm not saying they're bullshit, but if you are who you are, how much can you kind of change who you are? Yeah. So the traits don't 
Uh, now, you know, I'm, I'm a parrot here. I'm, I'm, re- I'm repeating what psychologists say, so I'm not a psychologist. But, yeah. but uh, what they tell us is the traits are, are set early in life and that once they're set, they're set. They don't change. So now let me provide some color. So I'm, I have the same traits today and I'm mature. Uh, that I had in my twenties, and that was not uh, that that wasn't recently. So in my twenties, you look like you're forty, man. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, I do. Uh, <laughs> uh, in my twenties, uh, you know, I'm I'm young, and you know, I'm, I'm at, at some level, I think I hit the lottery with who I am, and and so there was unnecessary. There were, there were bodies on the side of the road, and there were unnecessary bodies on the side of the road. At some level, and I'm not proud of this, I, you know, I'm not, but I, I looked at people and like, well, I, 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 I judged them based on who I am. I'm yeah. like, well, you, you know, you don't measure up, you don't measure up, you don't, you know, you're not enough of this, you're not enough of that. I just thought everybody ought to be more like me. That was not good. That was not helpful. That wasn't, uh, that wasn't helpful for me. And, and uh, so I learned over time that. I, I learned to value others. Now, what's the difference today? I mean, I'm, I'm, I have the same traits, but I'm more mature. I've learned people suffered as a result. I suffered as a result. But I've learned to, to value others for, for their differences. Uh, the, the number one, one of the number one patterns people tend to look for after they go through training is, is, the, is it was my, was my kryptonite before I learn to, to, to understand the beauty of it because I only looked at what they're not. Right. You know, they're hostile. I looked at them as jerks. And now I only see, I see beauty because I, because I understand, I understand them. And I'm like, you know, I don't, I'm not going to let the, the negatives bother me. And I, I don't give them a, doesn't give them a free reign to be an asshole. It's just that, that there's beauty in every pattern, and when you when you when you understand that and value it and get it properly aligned, it's actually a lot of fun. So, what would you say? Some t- just tell somebody that's saying like, "I want to change." Yeah, I think coping skills are important. I mean, they're they're. I am more autonomous than ninety than ninety percent of all people on Earth. There are some pluses to that. There are some minuses to that. How important is it for me to be aware of this? And to understand that I'm going to freak out a large percentage of all people on earth if I don't find out how to, how to manage that, mm-hmm. right? So coping skills are good, but, you know, in terms of changing the traits, you know, you can buy people books, you can send them to sem- seminars, you can send them to therapy and, you know, the traits of the traits. Yep. There's a, to your point, there's a multi-billion dollar segment of, of, of the market out there that, that focuses on this. And the sooner we can focus on who we are and revel in it and get people properly aligned, the better. Yep. All right. We're going to just ask a couple uh, personal questions. Um, has nothing to do with culture index. We should get through them quick. But this is something I've asked a lot lately just because I have never had one. And recently, COVID kind of gave me one. Do you have a morning routine or something that you do to kind of get your day started? Yes, I do. Let's hear it, baby. Well, it's a little... So I get up about four every day. And uh, I have an Apple Watch. 
And I resisted being held accountable. I don't like being held accountable by anybody or anything. But I decided that uh, it was good to, to hold myself to be accountable to burn at least 1,100 calories a day. So I start every morning with exercise. I have a, uh, have a banana. I have a caffeine slash there's other stuff in it to wake me up because I never really feel like I have enough sleep. And I, I start burning calories. And I will, uh, my, my goal is to get at least 700 burned by about 7 in the morning. Got it. Um, sometimes more. What's the best advice you've ever been given? Well, for me, I, I'm, I'm all gas and enough break to keep me out of jail. So the best advice is, is to, and this gets back to me valuing people that are different than me, seek, seek wise counsel. That's the best advice. Yep. All right. And maybe you just answered it. If you had a billboard on I-30 that you owned and you there's hundreds of thousands of cars that pass by every week and you could put anything on that billboard for the world to see, what would you put on there? You know what, Chris? I just bought, I, I saw something on a, you know, some, some startup company, t-shirt company that uh, on a news station and, and I, I was so pumped by what they're doing that I bought a, I bought a t-shirt and the t-shirt is, I live like it's nine twelve, the day after nine eleven. Yep. That's what I would put on that because I'm so sick of the way we can't even agree on anything. We're all in this thing together. We need each other. It's, I hate the fact that we can't agree on anything and everything gets politicized. Let's find, let's find some common ground. Let's just, you know, we're all human. <laughs> And let's, if, let's just live like it's the day after 9-11. I love it, man. Okay, what is the best way for people to reach you um, and uh, get in touch? Yeah, so it's swilliams at cultureindex.com uh, or text or call 817-480-7557. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Chris. Hey everyone, it's Chris here again. Thank you so much for joining me on this journey. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, leave a five-star rating or write a quick review. Thanks again, and I'll see you on the next episode. Chris Powers is the founder and CEO of Fort Capital LP. All opinions from Chris and guests of the Fort Podcast are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of Fort Capital LP. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for real estate or investment decisions. The Fort with Chris Powers is produced by Straight Up Podcasts.